Oh, wow. That was a new one. That was a new one. It was an interesting kind of a bellowing. Yeah. Is your voice a little hoarse? No, it's not hoarse at all. Good morning. I still apparently need more coffee, but yes, I'm good. How was your week? You know, I've kind of went into it. I don't want to bore everybody with the mold thing going on, but you know, it continues. So last night I, you know, really got a solid night's sleep for the first time in a long time. And so I'm feeling a little bit like a new person. And I think it was very necessary for our interview today to be on top of our game. But I know that you went to go see Moulin Rouge yesterday, right? I did. I went and saw Moulin Rouge at the Pantages Theater. It is absolutely probably now my new favorite show. I really? loved it so much that the performances were incredible. The spectacle and the story, it's just so well done. I think it's got over 71 songs in it because they do all these different medleys of pop songs throughout the whole thing. I love the medleys. Yes. And they updated it. And it's just... It's sexy. It's fun. I, I actually was sobbing in the second half. Like it was just so, I can't stress it enough. If you're in New York, go see it. If you're in LA in the next few weeks, come see it here. It's so, it was so, so, so good. Yeah. So that was very inspiring. I, was, I also had to prepare for our interview today with Willem Belli. So we just have to say at the top of this, get your kids out of the room. <laughs> yes. This is, I would say somewhere between PG-13 and R. Because, you know, we're, we're going to bleep a few words and stuff. But everybody just be kind of prepared that this is a, a guy, a drag queen, a person that is, is an entertainer and at heart is a true comedian. And he is notoriously very unfiltered. So we get very, you know, there's some things that might not be appropriate for the kids in the car. So try to listen to this in your AirPods. But, you know, he's... Like we said before, when we were talking before this, he's he does not sugarcoat anything. So he he is who he is, and he was very much put it all out there. And and we think that a lot of people are going to get a new perspective for sure. I mean, he definitely doesn't give you the status quo at all. I think that no. and, that's, and it's it's refreshing at times, and then it's a little shocking at times. But I think that that's why Willem has been so successful and has you know. So Emmy nominations and then, you know, in movies like A Star is Born, I just think that's why he has garnered such a reputation for always delivering what the unexpected, the unexpected. And like I said, I say it throughout this is, you know, his list of the things that he has accomplished, how many projects he's worked on. Like, I just don't even know where he gets a time in the day because he's a singer. He does parody music. He is a YouTube following. He's got all these things going on and he slowed down a little bit lately, but it, even his version of slow is like everybody's version of a hyperspeed. So yeah, we spoke to him today. He is in Toronto filming a TV show. So he's constantly yeah. working. I think I'm going to go ahead and tell them a little bit about yeah, Will tell, and Bella. Tell, him, tell everybody. So what he says is the less you know, the better, but here it goes. After being disqualified from a cross-dresser game show, RuPaul's Drag Race, Willem found success anchoring shows for MTV, Logo, and AOL while appearing as an American Apparel ad girl, Sephora model, and Magnum ice cream lady. He's performed hits from his number one Billboard charting comedy album on five continents, spent a few nights in jail, and enjoys writing in the third person while rewatching old episodes of Nip Tuck he was on. Willem also likes to cry about how he lost both of the Emmys he was nominated for in 2020 for his acting and makeup work on Netflix's Eastsiders. His first book, Suck Less, Where There's a Willem, There's a Way, missed the New York Times bestseller list by less than 100 copies. You might have also seen Willem on YouTube because, who knows, maybe you're one of the 250 million views. And if not, please subscribe. He is the co-founder, co-host of Race Chaser and Hot Goss on the Mom Podcast our MOM Mom Podcast Network, which produces 10 LGBTQIA plus podcasts a week. Willem can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Willem, W-I-L-L-A-M, and in the very small indie film, A Star is Born. I love how you put that as a star indie film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so him. Please welcome to the program, Willem Belli. Good morning. Good morning, Willem. Good morning. <laughs> it's, How are you? It's good. It's noon in Toronto, though. So you're in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. That's super cool. Is that where you're from? Yeah. No, I'm just doing a TV show up here for a little bit. Oh, that's really cool. 
He's always working. Yeah, you have to. I mean, you're a freaking busy man. I can tell just from your IMBD page, it's it's out of control. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been on there in years. I wonder what's on it. You literally have one of the longest IMDb lists of projects like we've ever seen. Like, damn. But according to Wikipedia, Willem, you oh, are an God. actor, <laughs> an actor, an American drag queen, singer, songwriter, reality television personality, author, YouTuber, podcast host. And you came to prominence as a contestant on the fourth season of RuPaul's Drag Race in 2012. Something we'll get into a little later. But did you always know you wanted to be in show business and what drove you to get into it? Yes, I always wanted to be in show business because I saw it as the easiest route to attention. And what drove me to it was every weekend I'd go with my mom to get her hair done in South Philly. And my grandma would be there and my aunts would be there at the salon. And I would just read stacks of tabloids the old school ones the paper ones like the globe the star the sun and i was like who are all these people i could take way better pictures and outfits than these people and <laughs> so i just thought tabloids oh that's what you were going future. for yeah garbage pale liner this is me <laughs> <laughs> so that literally drove you to get into it yeah, I didn't have anything else to do after high school. Like, we had no money. I couldn't go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to go to college for. So I was like, let me just be a performer. But your parents, like, didn't you tell me your dad worked for NASA? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. And your mom was Nerd. RN, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and they were cool. They would, like, drive me to drag shows and Rocky Horror and stuff when I was a teenager. So they were so, really, like, you know, they were cool with all of it. Yep, they were the jam. I think that's where I – the reason I have so much – misplaced confidence is because they were always like you can do whatever you want you're, <laughs> you're amazing yeah well that's wonderful that's always a good thing so i guess mm-hmm. like let's get a little bit into like you know who you are as a person and how drag became like such a big part of your life i guess i think we'd like to know i'm pretty sure i know the answer but when you realized that you were gay and when did you know that you were into drag like who were some of your like role models and and how did everybody kind of respond to all that Sure. I realized I was gay when, I don't know, I was born, I guess. My baby book says I was gay. For real? Are we, my mother wrote what? when I was three that I was either a ballerina or gay because I walked on my toes. <laughs> my dad has a gay brother and a gay sister, so like they always knew it was a chance, and they hit the mother load. Concentrated. <laughs> yeah. That's when I knew I was gay. I forget what the other part of the question was. Oh, just like, when did you realize that you wanted to get into drag? Oh. I realized when I wanted to get into drag when I think I saw like when I was a kid, I remember seeing when I was nine, there was gay pride on my birthday in New York, June 30th. And there was like a person walking through the Lincoln Tunnel in white lingerie, like white, like fishnets, white garters, Teddy. They were on their way to pride or something. And they were like this beautiful statuesque black person with, I think, like blonde hair. It wasn't RuPaul. <laughs> Obviously, (laughs) but like, I was like, what is she doing walking through the Lincoln Tunnel? And then my dad, I think, said something like, well, she's got to get somewhere, I bet. And I was just like, you know what? You're right. She's got somewhere to go. And then we get into the city and I see gay people all over. And I'm like, what is going on? They're like, it's gay pride in the city. And I was like, oh, this is the thing. So, like, I was like, these are my people. And then, like, years later on some Instagram account, it was, like, some, like, past LGBT, like, history thing. I saw the person in the white lingerie in a picture of a Pride celebration, and I screenshotted it. I was like, oh, my God. This person has been seared into my memory for, like, 30 years, and I'm seeing it on paper, and it's real. and Or not on paper, but on technology. So, like, that's when I kind of knew I wanted to be gay. And my biggest inspirations for, like, drag right now... And back then were like Lady Bunny, Pablo Vitar, Sylvester, a drag queen named Raja. Those were the ones. Kevin Aviance, who is a musician and a drag queen. Those are my random references. RuPaul at some point. You said in your book you were very open about coming out and you alluded to that it's ridiculous that others don't come out earlier. (laughs) I feel like living your truest experience is like not to be sneered at, but I mean, some people have to stay in the closet for lots of reasons. I don't push my timeline on anybody, but freedom is the best taste in the world. Other than shame, (laughs) the shame tastes good too. (laughs) Depending on on what it's flavored with. (laughs) But only during, not after. You got to spit it out. (laughs) Exactly. 
<laughs> oh, God. Well, speaking of shame, listen, you've been very open and unapologetic about, well, most things. But one of those things is that about you, are, quote unquote, you called yourself a hooker and how pretty woman was the touchstone in your life when you were younger around the, between the ages of 17 and 19. But you said in your younger years, you were also a blackmailer and a scammer. What exactly does that mean? And what <laughs> conditions in your life caused you to go to such extremes? Oh, my God. I was like, if somebody fucked me over or did something to me, I was like, I'm gonna get him back. I used to be like V for Vendetta, <laughs> hardcore. And when I was like a young kid, I was like 12 with AOL chat rooms, unsupervised on the internet. I would like, you know, try to hook up with guys. And I went to hook up with one. And he clearly was not his picture. I was 12, said I was 18. I was a liar mouth and a little scammer, even back then. And well, I think at that age, a lot of people, I mean, I remember being in AOL chat rooms, being like having no idea like what people were really doing yeah, in there I mean, and we, putting we age, were the first sex, generation. Yeah, what was it? It was like internet. you had to put like age, sex, male or ASL, female. Yeah. yeah. And I remember being in chat rooms being like, oh, yeah, I'm totally 15 when I was 12. Because yeah, I mean, I, th fully. I think we can all kind of relate to that, at least. I now never thought of it as being a scammer, though. But yeah, we were all doing that. Oh, no, the scamming gets worse okay. because like I I went to this one hookup and this guy was clearly not his picture and I clearly was a 12 year old. <laughs> so I was like, I don't like this at all. But like I still somehow performed oral sex on him at 12, which I guess technically is like statutory rape if you for sure look at from his perspective. But like also whatever. So I afterwards sent him a blackmail message. It wasn't like on a like. A ransom note or anything but like i called his phone i was like listen i don't appreciate you like scamming me into sucking your d you're not your picture i'm 12 i need 300 dollars." and he told me i ruined his life his boss his wife heard it and he gave me 289 dollars he said there's all the money i have please leave me alone where did the 11 like, he oh. just couldn't scrape together the 11 dollars i don't know he wasn't on vacation but he was in town on business because i was in like I grew up on like a coast town in Florida and like I remember going to his hotel, all that. And I just like at 12. I, wow. I was just like not a great person back then at all. And I can laugh about it now because I can't change it. But like I hope his life wasn't ruined. Like I hope he found some joy somewhere in people other than 12 year olds. Yeah, he probably, you know, I think we should all be a little bit aware that he also was with a 12 year old a pedophile. Yeah, a pedophile. So, you know, <laughs> we don't feel too sorry for him, I don't think. But also watch out for scammy 12 year olds. Yeah, He'll get you. Know, they will get you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when you refer to yourself as scammer or blackmail, is that basically what you mean? There wasn't like any kind That's of That's one of the incidents. Yeah, yeah. okay, but but you started but... young. <laughs> so let's let's So from 17 to 19 though, you were That was legit. That was like for money, blowjob or no job. And you would just do blowjobs. You wouldn't do, you wouldn't have actual <laughs> sex with them. Yeah, most of them. Yeah, we'll say majority. I, I kept a counter. It's going to be in my next book. I have like a whole list. Like names. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, man. Name you got a good me. memory then. I didn't, didn't memorize it. I just wrote everything down because I wanted people to find my body if I ever didn't come back. That is a really good reason to do that, honestly. Hooker 101. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So did you have like a little notebook that you kept on you just so that... It's literally a Word file that's been on every computer that I've had since 1999. That is impressive. I was, mm. I thought I was doing pretty good by having just the same phone number since I was 15, but to have the same file running list, you know, that's impressive. That's just the hooker file. Okay. So fast forward after that period of your life. You're kind of out of that line of work, if you will. And you start... Are we ever really, though? <laughs> in a way. We're all kind of selling our bodies. <laughs> but you're starting to make some headway, I guess, in the biz, if you will. You get... Headway. Yeah, there we go. You get several that parts. That should be my next book title, That's Headway. That's what it should be. I would, uh, that is actually really good. I'm going to write that down just for you in case you forget. But you got a bunch of TV roles and, you know, you played on Nip Tuck, transgender character Cherry Peck. And then you get a request to audition for RuPaul's Drag Race. And we're a big part of season four. I know because I watched it. And probably one of the funniest ones. I mean, I'd say the funniest one. But we want to ask you this because we know you are a lot less filtered than some other people. But a lot of 
drag races contestants are kind of evasive about this question. So, and we've dealt with similar issues and questions regarding, say, like we had a, a model on that Molly O'Connell, who was on America's Next Top Model. Oh, I know her, the redhead. Uh, well, she's the blonde. No, blonde. But she she was the one who the weave was. They sewn gave her the weave the that was, she was allergic to. And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my best friend's baby sister. I love her. Yeah, she's okay. awesome. She's we have you should yeah. listen to the podcast we did with her. But now the NDA is up. And so she's starting to talk about Tyra. All those girls oh. are. Yeah. <laughs> so she was like ready to get that out. So we were, you know, just kind of wondering your, you know, whether you thought RuPaul cares or ever really cared about the contestants on the show. And do you think that she particularly cared about you or your actual career trajectory when she did all this at one point i know she did have genuine affection for me because i would see how her like she would come around and walk around different tables in the workroom and it would be called the walk around she kind of talked to me and chad michaels and latrice and sharon at that point differently than everybody else like where she just came around to Kiki. She knew we were going to be on the show for a while. She just covered bases. She wasn't like going, well, last week you almost went like she enjoyed her interactions with a few of us. I could definitely tell others. It seemed more remote and going through the motions like she would say people's names wrong and not even give a fuck. It was I can't speak to the testament of how she feels or how she felt then, but it seemed like she enjoyed me. She knew my name in 2009, well before I did the show when I used to book go-go dancers for a bunch of parties and clubs in LA and I booked them for World of Wonder for like a few years for their Christmas parties and whatever and she was DJing and I went up and I told her I loved the song or something. She knew my name. She knew who I was. We had done a movie together called Another Gay Sequel. She was nice to me on that and everything. Our relationship isn't that anymore but yeah, gratitude is unconditional and I'm thankful for her presence on this earth. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess... I'm glad that she was able to at least give you that like launching point, I guess, or platform, if you will. But yeah, me too. And I know we're not going to go into this much more, but this is always my question when it comes to reality shows. How real did you feel like it was? It was a reality show. There were portions of it which were definitely real, but there were other portions where it was fake to the point of like not even faking it, where they were like, we're going to do that all again. Because this girl's hat fell off. <laughs> we're like, wait, that's not real, though. That's not how this worked. Or we're going to do this all again because she said the wrong thing. And she needs to go the opposite direction with this whole speech. Like, there's certain things where you're like, you can see the fingerprints later if you watch it back and you were there. And you were like, that didn't happen like that at all. There was a point where I tried to lip sync for a girl on the second episode because I was like the team leader. And I got called safe. And that's when you normally go to the back of the stage. But instead, I launched in this whole thing like, hi, I want to take accountability for this. I'm the team leader, X, Y, Z, X, Y, that. And she didn't even look at me. And her voice just raised like a tenor a little bit. And she went, you're going off script, darling. And I just literally said, bye. And I hit it. And the portion that they use in the programming is they call me safe. And then they cut out the next 30 seconds of me talking and her like huffing and puffing before she doesn't even let me finish and just cuts me off and says, you're going off script, darling, and yells it at me. And th then all they show is me being called safe and then me saying bye and like flip. And it turns into a great edit for me. They made me into like this like super savvy troll when in, in reality, I was just kind of producing myself and hoping for the best. I wasn't like an evil genius. I was a lucky moron. And they played into it because they kicked me off. I fucked a producer, so that was kind of job security. Found out where a lot of the bodies were buried. And it all worked out for me in the end. I will never work with that production company again, but I learned a lot, which, you know, can't put a price on. Well, did you get any, like, friendships from that? Like, do you hang out with any of the girls? Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. I'm still friends with my story producer, who was a producer on Making the Band and Top Model. So it was the same, you know, rigmarole. I'm really close with Latrice, still friends with Chad, Dita, I'm really good friends with, The Princess. Oh, really? Like a, a lot of these girls I still talk to, yeah, and other seasons too. So you kind of met other people even throughout the, I'm sure those other people that were on that season probably went and did the reunion shows and stuff and then. Some of them, yeah. Season four has the distinction of like almost everybody being used from the top six for all stars since other oh, than me. Oh, okay. And Dita. 
but Sharon won, Chad won the first All-Stars, Latrice has been on like three times. They haven't used Dita yet, I don't know why. They haven't used me, I do know why. <laughs> Kenya doesn't do drag anymore. Yeah, that's Drag Race. <laughs> well, Willem, after Drag Race, you went on to do so much, and we're not even sure how you had that much time in your day to do all this, but you started making music, you started Evil a YouTube never career. never sleeps. <laughs> That's right. A podcast and you wrote your book, Where There's a Willem, There's a Way. You even make a perfume. I mean, the list goes on and on. But in 2018, you landed the role as Emerald in A Star is Born alongside Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what it was like working with such amazing talent and what were they like on a personal level? I think I landed the role in 20... Because I remember we filmed it in May of 2017. Right. I landed the part and I think I auditioned in January and then there was another like thing in February or March and then I booked it and I was doing all my wardrobe stuff and then they called me the morning of, I was at Tom Daly's wedding in England and the night before we had a rehearsal dinner and I was talking to this producer that had worked with Bradley Cooper on other stuff. His name's Bruce. He's really cool. And he's like, oh, I did Silver Linings with Bradley. Tell him I said hi. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, sure. Great opener. And then the next morning, I wake up to a text that says, terrible, terrible news. All your scenes have been cut. I'm like, what? Huh? I can't go to this wedding and be happy. I have to go to the wedding because it's my friends. It's destination wedding. So I go down. The first person I see is this producer, Bruce. He's like, hey, how's your morning? I was like, terrible. Tell your friend Bradley I should be in his movie. Like all my scenes gone. Like to go from like being in a Lady Gaga movie in your head as a drag queen to being in a no movie yeah it's horrible yeah so then i get home three days later and they're like they check in your avail they want to see if you're available and i'm like sure what else am i doing so gaga apparently fought for the drag queens to be in she was just going to be a waitress in the movie that all changed we got back in we get to the set shangela and i were like doing our thing once we got there, they said, throw the script out. You don't, and we're like, do we need to hit these lines at all for like a beat thing? Like this info. And they're like, no, just do what you do in a dressing room. Bradley's saying this. So I'm like, okay, we can do this. All you have to do is tell me and Shangela once and we will take off on the improv train. And if you can get on and catch up, cool. But if you can't, <laughs> it's all us. So there were like five other drag queens and me and Shangela kind of like railroaded and just took over. And then I did the thing with the boobs and he signed it. And that was just the comedy God smiling on me because I didn't know if a Sharpie would wipe off fake tits, but it did. And they were all surprised and they liked it. And then based on that, they wrote the second scene where I give him the guitar or whatever. And that turned out really well. And they all liked my jokes. Gaga came up behind me and told me to switch two jokes around. That's how Bradley wanted it. And it was just a really cool set. Like somebody was rubbing my shoulders at one point and I turn around and it's Gaga and I'm like, girl, watch my wig. <laughs> and everybody was great. I can't say enough nice stuff about Gaga, Bradley. I mean, I step on my lips to say nice things about Dave Chappelle right now, but like Dave was cool. Eddie Griffin was cool. Sam Elliott. Everybody was rad. It was a, the best experience I've ever had on a set in my life. Other than Nip Tuck. Nip Tuck was great too. Did you feel like a little bit starstruck? With Gaga or anybody, they all just kind of made it feel no, relaxed. I mean, they're literally just people. And if you just remember that, if, if you ever get nervous or feel like butterflies around someone, you just have to remember they're just a person too. And if they act like they're not a person with you or they're above it all, you realize, okay, maybe I don't need to be so worried about this person's approval or like proxy because like they forgot who they were in the first place. Yeah. If that makes sense. And that's like my one biggest RuPaul thing was like when we were told not to look her in the eye or instigate conversation but she could talk to us and we were like wait what huh she's a person she's a drag queen we're all drag queens like lcd lowest common denominator like did she forget like that was confounding to me because like drag is like a social thing like drag usually drag queens they do what they do because they like making people happy or they like to make them think if you're Sasha Velour or something, you know, like some people do it for like high art. And I get that. That's not me. I do it to make people happy, to make people have a good time. And when you do something that is the antithesis of making someone have a good time, which is like if someone introduces themselves and you look them up and down, refuse to shake their hand and like refuse to acknowledge them, like that I just don't understand all the time. But it's not my job to try to understand what makes other people tick anymore. And I've stopped trying to do that. 
And I mean, I'm sure RuPaul Charles has worn the armor, you know, because she she was the drag queen forever. Like she was the poster child forever. And maybe going through all that in the 80s, 90s, you know, it was tough. And maybe she just was like, I don't need any more friends. I'm not here to talk about anybody's experience other than my own. But I do know a lot of people that were around her in Wigstock in the 80s. I read her book, which talks about her stealing an air conditioner from Lady Bunny and her friends. Like anybody that steals an air conditioner in the summer. I don't trust him. That is rude. And then all the people around her in the 80s and 90s were always, you know, whenever they see me, the RuPaul subject always comes up because they're like, I love what you do and how you gave it to them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm past that. That was a decade ago. But like, I'll listen to your stories. But none of them particularly remember RuPaul as like the happiest creature in the room from the stories I've heard. They're like, she was always kind of a bitch and always like wanted to be... I'm done talking about her. Okay. Yeah. I need to stop talking about her because I will say something that I'll regret. I'm so grateful for her being put on this earth when she was and for everything that happened because, you know, without her footprints, I wouldn't have a trail to follow, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah. But that's where the paths diverge in the woods, honey. Yeah. Well, I mean, eventually you got to just go let people be who they are. I mean, there's, you know, only so much pontificating you can do on it or it's just like then it becomes your problem so this podcast as i'm sure todd has told you is centered around trauma so for better or worse we're gonna dive into some of that you've been pretty open about battling eating disorders since you were quote-unquote a fat kid what eating disorders have you battled and do you feel like you've overcome any issues with that to this day yeah i have overcome issues i keep a food journal and that really helps me like Because if I look at my food journal, I'm like, you've eaten your whole house today. Stop it. Put it down. I have like... binging is... Yeah. I have the gut of a yellow lab. Like, I won't stop until I'm on my side, can't breathe, food, like, waiting in my esophagus to process because my stomach is so full. My parents said that when I was a toddler, I would eat until I threw up. Just, I, I love food. Food is so good. I mean, food is really good. Yes. So, that's my problem. I have like no shut off valve. I used to binge. I play a game called Chew and Spit where I eat over a trash can and chew something up and then spit it out. I used to do that mostly with dairy stuff because I can't eat dairy and I'd be like, oh, grilled cheese. Oh, yeah. But I mean, if you looked at it from an outside perspective, you'd be like, look at anorexic over there. So I never had the intent purpose of like eating to throw up, but like it's happened. I didn't want to ruin my teeth. So I stopped that. But what other eating disorders? I used to work out a lot. I used to like count my calories like hardcore before drag race. I told myself every time I like wanted to eat, I would say there will be other opportunities to eat because I knew on drag race, it was one of the biggest times I had to be on TV. I wanted to look like a California archetype. I wanted to be tan, blonde, tits and teeth and nostrils and that's it. And I was, I like weaponized my body. I was like an eight pack. I intimidated the hell out of the other girls. Just it was what I wanted to do. And I did it. And there aren't many things you can control in your life. So when you know that you can control the one thing, which is your body and how you look, you laser focus on it. So all I ate was like turkey bacon, spinach, egg whites, Adderall and watermelon. That was my drag race diet. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I even I was in college, girls, and I'm guilty of it too, would have like those whiteboards up to like motivational quotes, it would say like being skinny tastes better than any food that you could eat. Mm-hmm. The motivational quotes would basically be like, don't eat you fat. <laughs> nothing beef. tastes as good as skinny. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically just like motivation Monday, nothing tastes as good as skinny. So I think there's a lot of pressure there. Do you feel like, you know, like you said that you think you've, you've overcome issues with it, but do you feel like it's something that you have control over now? Yeah, because I don't weigh myself anymore. I don't like determine how I'm going to feel about myself that day, like by what a number says on the floor. I'm in better shape now than what I am. I probably weigh like 25 pounds more than I did on Drag Race. But with muscle. Maybe. Yeah, hopefully. Let's just say yeah. that. Yeah, no. But I mean, Something. like I've seen a lot of your <laughs> it's pictures. It's all you... in my ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're always posting your workout videos from your home gym outside. I mean, you're always doing squats and yeah, you're working out a lot. I want to move forward to this other thing. You said that you love to, quote, go after dick that doesn't want you, <laughs> which is which is essentially going after people that are emotionally unavailable to you. So why do you think that is? And does a part of you feel like 
that you can like, I don't know. Like, where do you think that comes from? Do you think that that's like you're kind of trying to prove you aren't that little fat kid anymore or is the same kind of control? Yes. Oh, my God. That's exactly where it was going. I used men for validation because I didn't get attention when I was a kid unless I was funny. Like, nobody cared about my looks. So, I think I was definitely like, you know, the unhealthiest story in, in the world using men for validation. And then if they don't want you, you want it even more. You're like, oh, that one. I need that one. That one that doesn't like me. That one that doesn't text me back except at like one thirty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And did you ever feel like you kind of needed like this, you had this desire to like fix someone like you knew it was wrong? I'm a cancer. We love to fix. Yeah. We love to fix. But I think that's just because we like being in people's business. How can we help? What can we do? How can we ingratiate ourselves to you so you throw us a morsel of attention? And then we can use that to get by for the next couple of weeks until you do it again. And then that it's the endless cycle sometimes. With I have to block some numbers because I'm like, they're not good for me. Yeah. They gave me chlamydia twice. <laughs> so okay. it's not even emotional at this point. This is just physical assault on their part. So No, it's my <laughs> fault because I'm letting them. And I, I only control what I do. So I figured that out. And then I'm better at it now. You recognize that it was for validation. Oh, yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. I can relate to that in some ways. Completely. So I guess if you were to kind of slow down and actually. Oh, I have. Okay. The well, quarantine okay, well, then, did that for me. Okay. Well, there's a silver lining of quarantine. We're always trying to find it. But, you know, if you're going to find your like that emotionally available person, what are the top three things that you would truly need from a partner? Oh, shit. Taller than me? That's actually one of mine, too, so. What else? Okay, taller than me. <laughs> Is this like a, what, what's going on in their brain? Yeah, yes. more mental. More like someone emotionally, like what would you truly need from them as a partner? Emotionally, I just need Jason Momoa. <laughs> oh, my God. I and Idris Elba. <laughs> Emotionally, you just need. I am going to write that on my mirror today because that is how I feel all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think that there's any parts of Jason Momoa other than physically that emotionally you connect with? Yeah. You know what? He seemed like a nice guy. I saw him on La Cienega once in a car with my roommate, and I was like, he pulled up beside us, or we were on the sidewalk, and I was like, that looks like Jason Momoa. And then I was like, Aquaman and he turns and he gave like this like the hook'em horns and I was like ah and me and my best friend looked at each other and squealed like 14 year old girls he was nice to people and he didn't need to be like when you see someone kind of through a window and then they roll the window down and like give a head nod and wave you're like wow okay he's badass he's cool so I would like somebody with Jason Momoa's heart oh I like that and then all the rest of it when you're kind to people and you don't need to be, I feel like that's, it's my default. I'm always nice to people at first. You're very gracious. <laughs> <laughs> you make me sound like I'm a lunch host. Oh, gracious. Yes. Try to describe them without using the word gracious. I know. When we were doing the pre-interview, I was like, so when you were an escort, he was like, stop. <laughs> Hooker, kid. But listen, you've told me, we were speaking earlier, and you said that you're very good at like compartmentalizing. However, you mononymously go by Willem both in and out of drag. So I think, how do I say this, Laura? Oh, well, I, I mean, like, this a, because this is more so a question. You think I, you're too good for a last name, bitch? No, is that what no, it is? No, man. Willem that, that didn't even come to me, but I'll ask you that later. But, <laughs> you know, you, you go by Willem both in and out of drag. And you've even said in your book, which I, you know, I told you I read, that you are the same person, whether in drag or not. And I think we're all very familiar with the entertainer Willem. So like say Britney Spears on stage is Britney Spears, the entertainer, and then Britney Spears at home. So who is Willem at home? And do you see any differences between the entertainer? And so like not drag or not drag, but just in general, the entertainer versus the one, the guy that's just hanging. Yeah, I don't really see any difference. My friends do. They say I'm louder in a wig. But I think like... Stuff that I don't really talk about much in drag wouldn't really have a place in drag because drag, like, you keep it light, you keep it shallow kind of thing. Like, no one's talking about their feelings at a club. So, like, this is still, like, in there, like, this part of me when I'm in drag, but it's not, like, necessarily right at the surface because, you know, time and a place. But I think I'm the same. My friends will say differently. But there's always that kernel of me there that's, like, sardonic and a little, I don't know, like... I always got something to say kind of thing. 
she throws in a kick at the end. There's always a little kick in there for sure. And the reason I only use one name is because SAG said no to my drag name when I tried to register it when I was 17. And everybody says my last name wrong and my first name wrong for all that matters. So I just figured one name was easier. So that's why that came about. Because it does seem kind of like unusual for people to, to go by the same name on and off. If you look at all the really good ones, they don't have to change them. RuPaul, Boy George, Charles Bush, Sylvester, like You're a right. lot of my idols. So I was always like, Willem's a cool enough name where I can do what I want with it. Willem so, is a cool I name, I will say. that That's Thanks. unique and I like it a lot. So yeah. Most people haven't met another one. Yeah, well, when I was searching stuff, the only other thing was some movie called Willem is coming out and I was like, well, it made things a lot easier because I just say, Willem, the man. Um, so, <laughs> well, I think that it's good that you don't have to, you know, you taught us said that you can compartmentalize really well, but it's kind of nice. I think, do you feel like it's nice that you don't have to like switch between this on stage person to when you're out, even just like in a wig, meeting people. Like I remember in the book, you just mentioned that how some people would be exhausted because they're like, I have to keep playing this character and I just want to like. You really read it. I, yeah, I Jinx really said did that to it. me. <laughs> Jinx literally said, I'm just so exhausted. I have to be this character all the time. Jinx and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's on you, bitch. <laughs> but she's fine. She just won like half a quarter of a million dollars on TV. So good for her. Oh. She's allowed to take a nap. Yeah, for sure. She should take a nap. Yeah. Go to sleep, bitch. Yeah, go She's to not sleep. Listen. <laughs> I know, maybe, she, maybe she will, hopefully. Maybe. She does listen to a lot of podcasts. I produced one of her podcasts. I forget All that. All right, so hold that over her head and make her listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you mentioned that you struggled to get out of your own head in regards to competition. Can you explain what that means a little more and how Burning Man, and explain what Burning Man is for people who actually don't live out here or know what that is, how it helped you overcome that? Sure. I used to be very competitive with others in my field and create false narratives in my head about like, oh, she got this job. You're not going to get this. They don't like you. FY. All that kind of stuff. It was only encouraged by a former manager who wasn't that great. Like I would see emails where like he would tell people I wasn't available when I was. He would send other girls instead of me to jobs that requested me. And then I, the promoters would contact me and I'd see it. And I don't know what was going on, but it, it wasn't good for me or my self-esteem. I'm no longer with that manager. And I was in a girl group. And when we broke up, this was like 2014, I think, or 2015, he told me nobody wanted me and I wouldn't work without the other girls. And that was like damaging to me because I was like, what do you mean I won't work? I wrote these songs. I'm always going to work. No, someone's always going to want me. And I think to prove a point, I didn't work much for a month. And then he started giving me gigs back when he realized I wasn't going to say yes to any more girl group gigs. But he held it over my head that like I wasn't going to work. And it kind of damaged me, my self-confidence, not having my two best friends with me on stage. So I went to Burning Man. I like wrote stuff on a paper. I burned it all up. I tried to like have like the ethos of an artist and like use Burning Man as like an arts festival, not just a place to do drugs, like a place to reconnect like spiritually with like your path in life and like not necessarily like pray to God or whatever, but like believe that there's like a higher power out there or something instead of just a spinning rock in the middle of whatever we're in. So like I kind of like gave in and said, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to stop scamming. Uh, because like I was still doing little schemes and scams and things back like in like 2014 and it's like stuff that I wasn't that I'm not proud of and like I wouldn't be doing today and like I'm really glad that I offered it up and gave it up and I feel like within a year or so of me doing all that at Burning Man like everything in my life fell into place and like I figured out what I was doing my purpose on earth the thing that I'll like wish on a star every night too and like my mantra, all that stuff, like my Namyo Renge Kyo, like that type of thing. Your purpose in life. Not my purpose, because I, I don't know if I know my purpose yet. But like, I kind of saw like a path and the distance illuminated. And I'm like, that's the one I'm going to take. And I'm going to take that one. And I'm going to be happy. And I'm not going to like, you know, chase like straw men in the wind anymore. Something that people don't know about you is that you're actually, you really, I think one day you've said you're going to be a father. You want children. I mean, there's kids all over this floor. <laughs> potential. Yeah. A lot of potential. <laughs> yeah. If, if, that, if that happens, it happens. And I hope it will. I've tried a couple times. I did IVF. I did three rounds of IVF 
2019 and 2020 and that it didn't work out but I learned a lot I became better friends with the girl that was going to be the baby mama and I tried with an ex for a while and like well, was that hard to not for it to not take yeah but like as hard as it was for me I can't imagine how hard it was for the mother you know because women have more emotions readily available and present than like I'll ever have yeah but did it feel like you were maybe it was so this was post burning man mm-hmm so did yeah. you feel kind of like one of them was yeah kind of feel like you don't have to go through the whole timeline of everything. I was just wondering if it that idea of like I know I see the path. I'm not focusing on like douchebag that said I wouldn't work outside of these girls, which is obviously the wrong call on his part, but that you felt like the confidence to like want to be a father, like to actually No. No. I just, okay. I just like kids. And it's always felt like something natural that I was going to do. Like if I go into a room, there's a kid or an animal, like they're usually my best friend. Yeah. So that's just, that's it. I'd say. I think there's something even deeper where you maybe want to give a child, you know, protect their innocence a little more because your innocence, I mean, well, whether you want to acknowledge it, I mean, 12 years old. Oh, you should have seen what I was doing at nine, honey. Yeah, well, that that goes to the point even more. Yeah, like I got emancipated when I was sixteen, and I think my parents were probably happy because they're like, "We don't know what to do with him. He's bigger than this town can take." And I get, I get where that sentiment comes from, but I just like kids. I think, and I, I have thought of adopting. And a quick Google search of me would make any adoption or fostering application go right in the trash. So I won't ever get approved for that. So I've thought of that, but not in the cards. But knowing you personally, I, I know you would be an amazing father. Honestly. Do you want me to call truly. you daddy? I, I, I can't with you. I'm done. <laughs> done giving Willem compliments, everybody. You guys? This is <laughs> podcast is over. <laughs> well, just to pivot we a little practice. bit. <laughs> just to Let's pivot stop. a little. So you're obviously someone who has accomplished a lot. And like I really can't keep like if y'all go to like his and you said you haven't even looked at this, like this is like pages. On IMBD of just how many things that you've been in. So you've obviously accomplished a lot. And when I read the book or, you know, listened to the book, Suck Less, you you kept kind of referring to yourself as just gamus and not famous. And I think since then, I think we can objectively say that you are not just gamus, you are famous. And so I want to know, like, what does fame mean to you and how has it affected you? And you've kind of referred to it as being in the mist. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, there's a book that I'm trying to read that I haven't read yet, but Justine Bateman from Family Ties wrote about it, and she refers to fame as like a mist, I think, kind of like floats around you, and you don't really know that you're in it till you're in it in it, and then like you can't always see where you're going because your judgment is clouded by it or whatever. I haven't read the book clearly, but it sounds like some interesting points in there. Once you get to it, I'm sure it'll resonate very well. (laughs) Yeah, so... I don't really know what it is, but I think my IMDb being that long is just a testament to me not listening to all the no's. Yeah. And like not being, you know, because technically my last real job was trying to get a job at Starbucks in 2002 and they wouldn't hire me after two interviews. They wanted a third interview and I was like, a third interview <laughs> this is not- to pour coffee? I don't even like coffee. And that's Thank a mistake. Google. You should not say I don't even like coffee on a Starbucks interview call when you're like trying to rearrange your third interview because I had a call back for something which ended up being my first like speaking role on TV on a cop show called The District. So like I made the right choice. But like, all that is is a bunch of not listening to the nose of every no that you've gotten. Yeah, well, but I mean, like, you keep referring to like, your like Starbucks was your last real job. It it's was. Like, but these are all real jobs. It wasn't, they wouldn't even hire me. Well, and it I wasn't don't even, even a real job. It was a potential real job. I'm not even sure if you can differentiate that from, say, you know, they're all jobs. Everything you went on to do with jobs, it just wasn't yeah, doing something right. stupid with coffee. So. Suck it, Starbucks. Do you feel like fame has affected you in any way? Like as far as how you're able to go out, like to, to even just be out in, in public? Do people like recognize you outside of drag? And do you feel like you're more like Jason Momoa when you interact with people or more like, I don't know who to reference, RuPaul maybe? I don't feel like I'm I'm like RuPaul at all in that sense. But I see it, I acknowledge it. And I know that like when people see me, they usually get happy. So I try to reflect that back to them and give them like a good story to tell later yeah you know like he was nice he wasn't an asshole 
He swallowed. He gave me a sticker. So it doesn't get tiring, though, to no, you? No. Like, and anybody that acts like fame is laborious or like, oh, my God, too many people want to take my picture. Too many people want my attention. I get it when it's like the Britney Spears paparazzi. Yeah. People stepping on Rihanna's foot type of – that might be a lot. But the modicum, the thimble full of fame that I got, it's never a problem. It's never unmanageable. It's always just happy people to see me. And like, I always remember like, I've never been at a point where I've been unhappy that somebody recognized me ever. It's never been like, oh, fuck, I look raggedy or I don't want to talk to this person. It's never been that because every time someone does it, you just have to remind yourself, this is exactly what you wanted reading all these fucking tabloids in the salon when you were five years old. This is what you wanted. Like, congratulations, you've made it, you know? So, like, I'm very happy with what the universe has given me. And I feel like I've already made it and everything past here is just gravy at this point. Like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and saying yes to things and more new things. I'm trying to buy an ice cream truck. Oh, tell me about that. What I know, to really enforce eating disorders. I'm going to park myself under the soft serve machine and not come out till fucking spring. (laughs) <laughs> so it's more for you than to actually sell no, ice cream. I think it'll be great in Palm Springs where I have a place like to go around to gay pool parties and try to make bottoms eat dairy. <laughs> Especially since you have a dairy. And ruin everybody's <laughs> pool. No, I'll have dairy-free options. And I used to be a Magnum girl for that Magnum ice cream company. Oh, okay. I, I went to Cannes and did like one of their commercials and like it was a great commercial and like they sent me a little Magnum cart for my gigs to like wheel up and down the line and give people ice cream. And I was like, I like this. And so I want to be an ice cream lady. It's kind of like your <laughs> desire to to just make people happy in general. Just, you yeah. know. Who doesn't like ice cream? And I'll sell poppers too, probably. Yeah. So well, nice. you, oh some people God. need those. You reference in your book too that you really wanted at one point to be a clown. And you're like, if it did, wasn't so. I am. Yeah, well, in but not in the sense that you're wearing like a squeaky nose and. Not every clown wears that, but I do consider myself a clown to the point where somebody asked me what I did a couple days ago. We were in a room full of people and some of the people knew I was a drag queen and and this person obviously didn't know. He's like, well, what do you do? Have you done drag before? Because we were talking about a drag thing and the room was. And I was like, oh, I told him I was a prostitute turned clown. He's like, oh, cool. How's that going? And I was like, great. (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't even really answer the question, but you did in your own way. I answered. Yeah. He just, you know, (laughs) took it for what it was probably instead of. But when I answered that, it was a flippant answer. And the people way more famous than me in the room laughed because they knew I was a drag queen. And it was kind of for effect, but it was true too. Like, you know, there's a grain of truth in it. For sure. Do you feel like you've healed from the quote unquote trauma that you've experienced in your life, whether it was eating disorders, getting out of your own head completely, or do you think that there's still work to be done on that front? Well, I picked the scab. I'm not chewing it at least. Yeah. Right. But I think I'm good. Yeah. I think I'm, I recognize my shortcomings and my flaws and I'm not afraid of them and I try to be better. So you feel you're pretty honest with yourself. Oh yeah. I can't lie to myself. I'm too forgetful. I won't remember. (laughs) It's so true. I love that too. Yeah, like affirmations, I say every morning in the mirror, just wake up and lie to myself and maybe they'll come true one day. <laughs> like I, I'm trying to be well balanced and like do all that stuff. Thank my feet after my gigs in the universe that like it held me up and got me on stage. Living your dream out right now. Definitely. And, he, yeah. you know, despite all the, it seems like too that you, you just have an incredible amount of, I'd say like kind of adversity and like you can overcome adversity very well. And I don't know if maybe some of that is just personally like that you have that motivation or if some of that is, I think maybe you were a little bit more self-aware than a lot of people at an early age. I think, I think it accounts for a lot of things, the self-awareness, the white privilege, because I definitely benefited from that, unfortunately, and luck being in the right spot at the right time. It's a lot of that, like just, you know, trying to work every connection that you have seems like you're kind of one of those people that you handle it as they come and you've never really, I don't know, like lied to yourself from the beginning. You were aware of what you were doing when you were 12 and scamming that guy. Well, 12-year-old me would be very proud of myself. He would probably, if 12-year-old me met 40-year-old me, he'd probably say, work. And Uh, then he would probably try to blow me and scam me for money. (laughs) (laughs) And then he'd be like, can I get tickets to your show? (laughs) Yes. 
I think 12-year-old me would be very happy with what has become a 40-year-old me. That's awesome. For sure. Yeah, you definitely evolved, for sure. Have I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's hope. Leave him guessing. Well, uh, before, tune in next week. Yeah, exactly. So we do know you're very passionate about certain organizations, some of them being you know, GLAD and LGTBQ Rimberg Theater. Can you tell us just a little bit about those and like why they matter so much to you and what you, you know, want everybody to hear about them? Yeah, the Renberg Theater is part of the LGBTQIA Center, which is, I learned a lot about philanthropy through watching Ari Getty and like she puts her money where her mouth is with GLAD and with the Gay and Lesbian Center and like helping people have safe spaces when they have no other place to go because you know, the rate of homelessness and or houselessness is among LGBTQIA teens is like disproportionate to everybody else. And the suicide rate and all that stuff is a lot higher. So I try to like anything I could do to raise money for these centers. I've been doing the mismatch game at the Renberg for over a decade, which is basically the snatch game from Drag Race live on stage with actual funny comedians like Jackie Beat and Tony Tripoli and so many funny people, Sam Pancake, Tom Lank. So I get to be a part of that and raise money for them. I've been doing that for years. So if you got any coins, send them that way. For the girls, which is trans housing for people in New York that don't have a spot to stay. Yeah, just, you know, if your platform's big and, and you can use it to yell about stuff that needs attention, why not do it, right? So that's what I do. Yeah, that's what we want to give everybody that comes on here an opportunity to to spread that word. So, you know, we, we'll put all the links to those things in the show notes. And if you have any other, like causes that you want us to put links in the show notes for. We just want to get it out there that, you know, that people like you and other high status figures that we're all trying to just help each other. Some of us. Yeah. A lot of us. Yeah. Some of us. So the good, the good eggs. And so you're a good egg. And I know that you want to, to help these people go through things that, you know, you probably experienced yourself and, or just know that you, or didn't because you had a certain level of privilege. So we want to, you know, get the word out. So we'll put all the links to that for everybody to go check out those things. And cool. My favorite cause is me too. So like, don't forget my podcast links. Race Chaser and Hot Oh, yes. Oh, those will all be on there Twice as well. a week. <laughs> yes. All that good of stuff. Of course. Give to the cause. Yes. Don't worry. That'll that'll be first. Because you got to take your you got to take care of yourself. Apply your own oxygen mask first. So how else are you going to help everybody else? We do have a sort of a tradition on the show, a sort of a like a palate cleanser after talking about so much heavy stuff. So the final question, and it's a question of the day. Who would you want to play you in the movie oh, of your life? Who would I want to? Play me Other than yourself. <laughs> in the movie of my life. Ooh, shit. I don't know because like I'm, I'm wondering if it will be like me now or me then. Well, you could – yeah, it would be the continuous thing, but you could pick somebody to play earlier and then maybe somebody to play later. I've never thought of that. I've always thought who I would play because I do look like some historical figures. I kind of look like Robert Plant. I look like Avicii. I look like a guy named Jabriath who was like the first gay guy signed to a major record label as a gay guy. He died. But like we all kind of look alike. So I've thought of myself playing other people, but I've never thought of who would play me. If we're going with colorblind casting, Rihanna. Okay. I identify with her don't give a fuckness and her essence. So yeah, maybe Rihanna. It or Rihanna. I'm I love sorry. That I didn't say her name right. Rihanna. Is that really Rihanna, how you're supposed to yeah. say it? And I've been saying it wrong this whole time. I saw an interview where somebody like was like, Why do you let people say it wrong? And she's like, you know, they say it different, blah, blah, blah. But RuPaul says it right, and that's where I learned to say it, Rihanna. And I did a music video with her, too, and she didn't even correct Rihanna. me. I remember okay, calling her well, Rihanna. But it might be like okay, girls so like I Tara, don't, yeah, Tara. Okay, I don't feel as bad you know? that I've been going around saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kara, Kara. Speaking of music videos, I remember I jumped out of my seat when I saw that you did a video with Little Mix. Oh, you like them? They're great, aren't they? Oh, my God. You and y'all were great in the video. I love that song, too. Yeah. It's been really nice being friends with those girls, Jade especially. Is really cool. She's my Aww. drag dog. Oh, really? <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, she is. <laughs> well, we can't thank you enough. Like, honestly. Yeah, you, this you stuff's important to talk we about. We appreciate you being so vulnerable so and open with talk, us. Something to talk about on Reddit later about me, too. Yeah, no, of course. It'll get into the tabloids. It'll all be fine. <laughs> you know what's manifested <laughs> now. Let's go to Burning Man and throw it into the fire, and then it'll definitely happen. Can't recommend it more. It's great. 
Yeah, that's awesome. We'll have, definitely have some links to Burning Man because I don't think oh, we fully yeah. explained to everybody what that it. was. If you're intrigued, check into it's it. It's an experience. It's an art It takes a lot of work yeah. to get there and do it right. And it'll make you radically self-reliant in the future. I love that. Awesome. That's, a really, that's a really good phrase. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. This was a blast. And I can't wait to see Me what's too. next. Lunch, I think. Yeah, um, <laughs> that sounds, sounds good. good. All right, well, All have right. a great day. Bye. All right, bye. Okay, Todd, how do you think that went? I think it went great. I think knowing Willem, God, since I think 2013. Yeah, you're telling me that y'all, it's, I mean, that's a long period of time. Yeah, we're pushing a decade here. And, you know, we met years ago. I was bartending at the Laurie Beachman Theater in New York City in Times Square. And the night before, Joan Rivers had just done her set. And then the next day, he was in a girl group at the time. And they came to do one of their shows. And we just started talking at the bar. And we, we developed a friendship. And, you know, the person that he was then, I mean, he was on, you know, it was right after Drag Race. And he was on a full, like, put his foot on the gas and just went. Right over and the metal. he was going, 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 going. And then now to see him at 40, he's still going pretty friggin' fast. But he has for him, he, I think he mentioned in the podcast that he has slowed down for him. He has yeah. slowed down. But yeah, how do you feel it went? I feel like it went really well. I, it was almost surprising. Like for those of you out there, we'll obviously be posting like pictures of Willem, but like, you know, we didn't really get into the the ins and outs of his grand personality because, you know, if you just watch a clip of him and anything, he's a presence. And I felt yeah. like in the interview, he was just a very like relaxed and kind of not putting on, you know, he was definitely like, I was just excited to talk to him in a way that wasn't like a bunch of jokes to evade questions and stuff like that, which, you know, is nice to hear sometimes. Like you kind of just expect that people that perform on that level to be performing. And I felt like he was really honest Very in this honest. interview. Yeah. I think one of the main things that we both learned when we were talking right after the interview is that, you know, he really does want to make people happy. Yeah. Like it just seems like that is a huge driver and whether that's tied into the validation thing that he mentioned himself, you know, that he agreed that was kind of the reason why he's sought out why he was a hooker for a period of time and all that. And I think it's tied in in a little bit of a way, but I think he also is just like, that's what gives him life is to just make people happy. And he doesn't really have other than to be on a tabloid, he doesn't really have like much of an agenda when it comes to it. So it's like, and how much he talked about like respecting other famous people that are gracious and that are, you know, nice to their fans and don't just see it as a pain. Like that he's clearly very grateful for everything that he's been given. I think Willem lives in gratitude, whether he wants to admit it or not. Yeah, exactly. I think there's parts, you know, that he he's like, I know he feels this way. It's just he doesn't have the vocabulary like or he don't, doesn't want to frame it that way. But it's like, no, you are like, as I made a point to say something about in the book, he's like, I'm not famous. I'm gamers. And I'm like, OK, now with a, an IMBD list that is literally five printed pages, you can't just say you're not famous anymore. So he definitely, and something you pointed out when we were talking is that the Willem you knew then is very different from the Willem that you know now, and mm -hmm. that he is very self-aware, and that I think at the end of the day, though, what really drives him is making people happy, making people, like with all of his causes that he supports, you know, helping other trans people right. and addressing issues that are really important. Like, as I mean, that is a major part. I mean, I've worked a lot with 180 Place, which is a homeless, it's not a shelter so much as a rehabilitation center in Charleston. And there is a disproportionate amount of people that are gay that have, you know, just generally are people that are discriminated against and look down that right. they end up being more disproportionately homeless and, and that I really respect him for, for sure. doing that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and one of the things that I do appreciate about Willem is that he's probably going to kill me for saying this, but he's actually one of the sweetest humans on the planet. Yeah. He'll give you the shirt off his back. He'll, you know, if you're starving, he'll show up with in and out, you know, not asked, you know, stuff like that. He's just a good guy. And one thing I also appreciate about him is that I think his agenda is still to challenge the status quo or what yeah. people are rooted, people that are rooted in religion or rooted in whatever that he likes to challenge their beliefs by being salacious and by being somewhat shocking, unfiltered, shocking, yeah, provocative with his verbiage, with his whole stature. But, you know, making it in Hollywood is really, really, really hard. And the fact that he's carved out a niche for himself in this town and, you know, to be in such a blockbuster film as A Star is Born really, really shows his perseverance. And I really respect him for that. Yeah, I think in general, too, that he's clearly somebody who, whether it was and he he acknowledged himself. He's there's things, some things he's not proud of, but was right. like you know gonna do whatever he needed to do to get where he wanted to be, and he's very grateful for that. It's not like most people that do that, and then they're just like, "I worked so hard, I got here, I deserve everything." Like the fact that he was like, "You don't understand, Jason Momoa," like is just such a nice person. Like he he gave me the like the hand signal. <laughs> it's like, well, that I mean. That's awesome. But also you are the same kind of person right. and that he does has not lost sight of that. And even when it comes to RuPaul, and I, I'll be honest, a lot of his other interviews that he's done and things that I've heard him say, he was very kind on this show to RuPaul. Yes. And I think part of that is that he's also realizing that that was a starting point for him in some ways. And it did give him that platform. And he acknowledged that, you know, RuPaul was a trailblazer for all these queens. I mean, yeah. you know, if she hadn't have been so indignant and she, because RuPaul said she always knew exactly what she was going to do. And so I feel like Willem, whether he wants to admit or not, they share that same. Yeah. Willem always knew exactly what he was going to do. And he knew exactly how he was going to get there. So... I don't know. He is, like you said, unapologetically himself, which is refreshing at times, but he definitely makes you think. I never leave yeah. a conversation with Willem without going, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, even when I was listening to his book, which I will say is for everybody out there, definitely for ages, you know, 21, <laughs> 21 <plus>. even <laughs> and up. I don't even want to say 18. I'm not even sure. I guess 18 and up. But it's still, there's all these little grains of truth that I didn't even like, you know, we didn't even get to it, but, you know, that I found helpful as far as like, he even gives like good legal advice about if you go into business with your friend, like just assume that that's when you need to protect yourself the most. And that he gives great tips about extensions, wigs, how to walk in heels and being up front when you're dating. Like he's very much like, it was surprisingly illuminating. Right. And the book is called Suck Less, Where There's a Willem, There's a Way, which yeah. is such a and So cute there's title. a lot of tips on how to make yourself look like a woman when you're not a woman. But, <laughs> you know, it was generally a very, it was the same as kind of, I feel like with the interview a little bit where he can be, you hear the truth a lot in what he's saying, but he's also a comedian. Like we didn't really acknowledge that. He is an improvisational comedian. And he did say when him and Shangela get together, when you know you tell them to just improv in a scene, that's you just got to tell them once because they'll yeah. just go off. And that was obvious in the movie A Star is Born. I mean, when they're in the dressing room, it's yeah. just none of that was scripted. So I think that if he were like in like an on a Saturday Night Live situation, I think he would kill it, to be honest with you. I think he would you. kill it too, honestly. I mean, I think that's what most of being a drag queen kind of is like right. on the stage is like being able to take things in stride. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole part of, of the book that's like, you know, how to be on stage or like how to be, you know, basically have the spotlight on you. And it's, you know, he, he very much is like, you know, if you have a microphone and you have hecklers or you have somebody saying something, you know, call it out, but make it a joke. Like everybody's supposed to just be here for a good time. So don't let anybody exactly. else ruin it. And I think he's very adamant about, wanting to help people feel good and give back to the community that he feels like such a big part of. And that I think is he's using his comedy and his sarcasm for good and not evil. 
right? And what did he say? Evil takes many forms or something. He's very funny, yeah. you know, but he is not everyone's cup of tea. And people that listen to this podcast, you might have been like, what was that? But you know what? I'm glad you heard it because maybe we all need to challenge. Maybe we need to step outside of our bubbles every now and then and meet somebody who's not just giving you the status quo. Exactly. Like this isn't just reading a script, isn't just, you know, we've had so many wonderful guests that have been extremely genuine and open and vulnerable. We're not saying that anybody has had this different kind of agenda push, but it is, I think, something that needs to be heard. Like I think all of our episodes need to be heard that you can pave your own way and not have to be like, well, it was really hard. And this like he knew who he was. He went for it. And, you know, he, he doesn't really care what you have to think about it. No, so, not a little bit, which I think we can all yes, learn a lot from. That's what I was right? going to say. I think we could all learn a little bit about like, stop focusing so much on what everybody else thinks about you. Well, you know, someone said, you know, what other people think about me is none of my business. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how he lives his life. And he's been very successful. So it's something he's doing is working. But we can't thank you enough, Willem, for coming on the program today. Yes, it was wonderful. And being vulnerable and sharing your experiences with us. And honestly, it was great. Yeah. Well, do you want to do the question of the day? Oh, yeah. Who would you get to play you in the movie of your life? You know, it's funny. As I wrote this question down, I didn't come up with, like, even think of an answer. But maybe, like, hmm, I'd say maybe, like, Scarlett Johansson, just because I don't think she, like, ages. And I think that they could do, like... (laughs) like prosthetics on her so that she could look like a young me and then she could look, you know, I don't know, maybe that, that. (laughs) and she's like easy on the eyes. So I just in general would like, you know, even if everything I did in life, maybe I didn't exactly look that way. I would like everybody to remember them. (laughs) Scarlett Johansson. It's hysterical. How about you? (laughs) I would want to say probably... Well, a lot of people think that I look like Andrew Rannells from Book of Mormon and Girls, the show Girls. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of people think I look like him. And some people have said I look like I'm a, looking this up. A, Andrew like I could who? be Chris Hemsworth's brother or like the kid from Queer as Folk. People have said Randy, I think his name is, from the original Queer as Folk, that I look like him. But honestly, the young me, I don't know. Who, I don't who know. is it from Girls that you said that they said you look like? Andrew Rannells. I'm fascinated because nobody ever tells me that I look, I mean, you kind of do, whatever. I I just think (laughs) nobody is ever like, you know who you look like? Like everybody else I feel like has these like doppelganger famous people. There's only one Laura Patrick. There's only one Laura Patrick. So try. (laughs) It is what it is. So that's why I need Scarlett Johansson to put on prosthetics to possibly (laughs) get the look. I mean, I, I really can't even think of one time somebody's like, you know, you look like it's, if ever it is somebody, it's like some random friend they have. It's never a famous person. Like, do you think that I look like any famous person? Mm, No. Yeah. All right. Just one. There's only one me. So that must (laughs) mean something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe I'm a, a Willem. Because there's only one Listen, Willem. Where there's a where there's a Willem, there's a way. Where there's you, a Willem, there's a way. You can find that person. All right. Well, um, go check out Willem's website. We'll have all the stuff on social media. You know, definitely go follow podcast. him on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, and he's great, you guys, and very funny. And yeah, it was a great day. Yeah, it was a good day, and it was always wonderful to see you. You too, honey. Have a great day. You too. Love you. Bye. Bye.